last three weeks, we've been in a series called Christmas Gifts, and we've talked about three different things so far. The first week, we actually talked about hope, hope that can be found in tragedy, and we went through the book of Ruth, and we see this horribly tragic story. We see these women who lose their husband, they lose everything, and at the end, um, they find out that there is redemption, that there is a Savior that loves them and takes takes care of them. The second week we talked about peace. We talked about that there can be peace that is found in the storm. So many times in life um, we get caught up in storms, we get caught up in so many things and we say, is peace actually possible in the middle of this craziness that we call life? And then last week we actually talked about joy. We talked about that joy is found in awe. When you lose your awe of God, when you lose that wonder of who God is, your joy will soon follow. And so this week what we want to talk about is the greatest gift that Jesus came to give. And obviously the greatest gift that Jesus came to give is his son. And we're going to kick it off with this verse. If you don't have a Bible, um, it will be on the screen. But if you have a smartphone, you can download the YouVersion app. And here's the cool thing about the YouVersion app. If you're not a good reader or maybe you just don't like reading, it reads it to you. So I try to tell you there's no excuses. You can get in the car, you can play it in, and, and it's, it's wonderful. So John 3.16, um, it is probably one of the most popular verses in the Bible. You're going to see this verse on every coffee mug, every t-shirt that you buy, every Christian apparel that goes on out there. And it's this verse. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So here's what I want you to get this morning. The whole purpose of Christmas is that God loved the world so much that he gave his son. So I said this earlier when we were in worship, that many of us, we get wrapped into the spirit of Christmas, which the spirit of Christmas is giving, and I'm not saying that wrong. that's wrong, but the whole purpose of Christmas originally was not giving, it was receiving. God gave first, and it's our job to receive this. So here's what I want you to, to understand this morning. Some of you guys may have walked in here this morning, and maybe you don't know Jesus. Or maybe you've wandered away. Maybe you sat in church 10, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, and you say, you know what? I love Jesus. I want to have a relationship with Jesus, but the whole church thing is just not for me. It's not for me. And here's what I want to lovingly tell you this morning, that Jesus sent, or God sent his one and only son, Jesus, to die for you so that you could be made whole, that you could be made new, but not only this, so that you could find family. It is impossible to continue the Christian walk with Jesus by yourself. It's impossible. You need other people. You need other people to help you, to encourage you, to push you, to help you in that journey. Listen to this. This is Romans 8. Since God did not spare his own son, but gave him up for all of us, then can we not expect that with him God will freely give us all his gifts? God will give us all his gifts. Now, I want you to notice the logic here. If God loves you enough to send his son, he also loves you enough to take care of you. If God loves you so much to send his one and only son to sacrifice him for you and for me, then he also loves you so much to take care of you. Now, I recognize this. During the Christmas holidays, there's a lot of pandemonium and stress going on, right? There's Christmas gifts that you've got to buy. There's family going on. There's family probably, probably coming over to your house this weekend. We probably got people out because of the fact that they're taking care of family. And I totally understand that. There's all this stuff that's going on. And you're going, okay, God, in the middle of all this stress, in the middle of all this chaos, what about me? 
Are you, are you going to take care of me? And I want you to know this, that God sent his one and only son, not only so that you could be loved, not only so that you could be a part of the family, but so that he could take care of you. Now let's talk about this. Taking care of you may look different sometimes. Sometimes God often gives you what you need, not what you want. Sometimes God often gives you what you need, not what you want. Now, here's the truth. You don't have anything to give unless you've received something from Jesus. You've got nothing to give away if you haven't received something yourself. So some of you, for this Christmas season, some of you are going, like the past three weeks we've talked about, we've talked about hope, we've talked about peace, we've talked about joy. And you're saying, I know that these are all important things in the Christian faith. I know that these are all important things in the Christmas season, but I don't feel any of them. I don't feel like I can give anything away. And this is what I would ask you to ask this question this morning. Have you received something? Have you committed your life to Jesus? And I'm not talking about you prayed a prayer when you were five years old, okay? Can, can I just be real with you? In, in southern Louisiana, this is our genuine belief that a prayer saves you. It doesn't. <laughs> a life of action, a life of fruit is, is how you know that you're saved. It's how you know that you're a Christian. Not just because you prayed a prayer when you were five years old and now you can live like that. <laughs> it doesn't work. You don't have anything to give until you have received something. So Christmas is all about God giving gifts to you and to me. And now here's what I want to do this morning. I don't, if maybe you've been saved, some of you may have been saved for 10, 15, 20, 30 years. Don't write me off. But I believe that there's some people in here this morning that just genuinely don't know Jesus. Like I said, maybe you came in here because you, you wanted to see, you know, maybe a son or a daughter or a granddaughter or a grandson perform. Or whatever it was, maybe somebody dragged you in here and they said, you know, just come, come, come just check it out. Here's what I want you to know. If you receive Jesus, if you surrender and submit your life to him, this is what you're going to get. And I want to talk about four different things. So let's jump right into it. Number one, God gives you a new identity. God gives you a new identity. I don't know if you know this, but do you know the fastest growing crime in the world is? Anybody? It's identity theft. Anybody remember about a year ago when that whole Target scam went on? When if you went to Target, they, they sent out this email to everybody that shopped at Target, and they said, hey, look, if you shop at these stores from you know, June something all the way to, to August something, maybe somebody hacked into your account. Well, I got an email um, from Target you know, just warning me, and when you get stuff like that, you, you, never, think of, you never think anything of it. And um, I remember about a year ago when they sent all that email and watching it on the news, and I'm like, man, that sucks for everybody that's really getting hacked. And I remember about 15 minutes later, I checked my bank account, and $500, gone. I'm like, oh my, what in the heck? In that moment, what happens? You feel extremely violated, right? Anybody ever been robbed or somebody stole something from you? You feel like violated. Identity theft is the fastest growing crime. The truth is, we've all had our identity stolen at some point, whether we realize it or not. So let me, let me put it this way. Maybe you've had your identity stolen by your parents. They wanted you to be something. Maybe they wanted you to go to college, or maybe they wanted you to pursue a certain profession, and you chose to go the opposite way. Or maybe our identity has been stolen by friends. 
Maybe they wanted you to do or, or act a particular way and, and you decided to go a different way. Or maybe you define yourself and you identify yourself by the people that you hang out with or the things that you do on the weekends. We've all had our identity stolen at some point. Maybe sometimes your identity gets stolen by problems. Maybe you just identify yourself as like, I'm always going to be the person that is just dealing with stuff. I'm always going to be the person that's creating drama. I'm always going to be the person that's struggling with this. You end up being pressured to conform to culture rather than being who God designed you to be. And at the end of the day, you don't even know your real identity anymore. If somebody were to ask you the question, who are you, you wouldn't have a real answer. So let me ask you this morning a very personal question. And I want you to really wrestle with this. And I want you to really think about this. The question is this, where do you get your identity from? On what basis do you think who you are? Where do you get your identity from? Now, let's just be honest. Most people get their identity from one of three things. They get it from work, they get it from relationships, or they get it from things. So let me give you an example. If you get your identity from work, you ever had that question? Somebody says, hey, what's your name? You say, okay, my name's Zach. And then what's the next question? Hey, what do you do? What do you do? Oh, I'm a, I'm a pastor. Oh, I'm a carpenter. Oh, I'm a, um, I'm a painter. Oh, I, I work on computers. Or, oh, I work in the plants. Oh, I work offshore. That's not, that's what you do. That's not who you are. And many of us define ourselves by that. Some people define ourselves by relationships. Maybe I'm a mom, I'm a mother, I'm a dad, I'm a father. Or other people's other people identify themselves by things. This is my house. This is my bank account. Maybe it's the things that you collect and the things that you hold on to, and that's how you identify yourself. And here's what I want you to know, church. I want you to look at me. Let me give you some really, really important, incredible advice as a pastor who loves you and cares about you. Never, ever base your identity on something you can lose. Never base your identity on something you can lose. So, let's break this down a little bit. If you build your identity on your husband, and he dies, and you live for 30 more years, what do you have now? What do you have now? Because you still have 30 years left to live. If you build your identity on your career, and you lose your job, what do you have now? If you build your identity on your home or your things and it goes into foreclosure, what happens then? Don't build your identity on things that don't last. I don't know if you know this, but history is a really, really good lesson that we should never build our identity on things that don't last. Let me ask you a question. How powerful is Adolf Hitler? Like right now, in this day. He's, he's not that powerful, right? Why? Because he's dead. <laughs> but how beautiful is Marilyn Monroe? She's not that beautiful anymore. She's dead. Here's the thing. Beauty, if you build your identity on beauty, it doesn't last. Beauty fades, right? If you build your identity on how good you are in a certain sport... Like, there's, maybe there was that heyday, like, you could throw the ball, or you could catch, you could do all these things, and what happens? You know, back in the day, you got jocks, and now, nowadays, you're called a joke. <laughs> like, you can't throw the ball anymore, right? 
That's what it is. You base your identity on those things, but here's the thing. It's like sand. You can't build a foundation on it. It's not something that is going to last. If you build your identity on something that can be taken from you, you're going to lose your identity. It's not your true identity. So what am I saying? The only thing that cannot be taken away from you is God's unconditional love. It's the only thing that cannot be taken away. So if you want to have your true identity, a permanent identity, you must receive it from Jesus. Your identity has to be wrapped up in your relationship with Jesus. Your identity is built on the fact that you are loved by God unconditionally. Listen to what 2 Corinthians says. When someone accepts Christ, he becomes a new person inside. He is not the same anymore. A new life has begun. Jesus calls it being born again. He said it's like getting a fresh start. You get a whole new life. Does that mean you're perfect? No. Does that mean that you always do good and you always do right? I think that's what we think. Sometimes we get when, you know, as Christians, at least the outside world, that's what we get judged by. As like, well, you did this and you did that and you said this and you said that, so obviously you're not a Christian because you're not perfect, right? And here's the beauty about being a Christian is you don't have to be perfect, but you have a new identity. You're not defined by your sin or your past anymore. So here's what a new, when Jesus gives you a new identity, here's what it means. It means you're not identified with your sin. It means those past failures, those past flaws, those things that you did five years ago or two weeks ago or two days ago, when you become a new person, you don't identify with those things anymore. You're not identified with your struggle. You're not identified with your past. You have a new identity. Now you're part of a family. See, one of the biggest mistakes people make is they let their failures define them. I see it all the time. They let their, 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 their fears define them. They let their faults define them. They let their sins and their struggles define them. They let their illness define them. Here's the truth. Once you become a new creation, you're a child of God, and that does not define you anymore. And some of you have got to understand that because over the past few conversations that I've had over the past few weeks with many people in this church, you know one of the greatest things that I see and one of the greatest things that I find is people love when they come in here and they love what God's doing and all that kind of stuff, but people are still defined by their faults and people are still defined by their failures. Here's the greatest thing, the greatest news in the universe is that when God makes you new, you become a new creation, you get a new identity and you're not defined by those flaws or those struggles or those failures anymore. So here's the starting point, the starting point of a new identity. You stop seeing yourself the way everybody else sees you. So here's what really matters. It doesn't matter what people think about you. It doesn't matter how people view you or how people see you. If God looks down upon you and says, look, you're a new creation, you have a new identity, all of this is completely wiped clean, that's all that matters. 
You've got to start seeing yourself the way God sees you. And the problem is, most people care more about what people think than they do about what God thinks. We go out of our way to impress people that, to be honest with you, probably won't even be in our life in a year or two. We go out of our way to impress people and to do things to, to make people be, to approve us in a certain way that at the end of the day doesn't really matter. You've got, to start, you've got to stop listening to the lies of the world and you've got to start listening to the truth of God. So let's get practical for a moment. Because I know that there are people in here that have legitimate things of why they feel the way that they do. Maybe you grew up and you heard lies your entire life. Maybe you grew up and they said, you know what, you're not ever going to amount to anything. Or people would ask you that question, who do you think you are? Or maybe it was, why can't you just be like your brother, the good one, the one that does right all the time? Why can't you just do that? Maybe people have told you you're too old or you're too young or you're too fat or you're too skinny or you're too ugly or you don't have the talent and on and on I could go. But here's the coolest thing in the world is when you become a new creation, you get a new idea. You get a new identity. You're not defined by those things anymore. God says you're valuable. God says you are. Here's... Here's the key. God says you are forgivable. And I think that's what most of us struggle with. Is most of us wrestle with the fact of, can God really forgive me? You know what a true test, if you're struggling with that is? When you pray. When you say, God forgive me, do you ask him like 7,000 times? Or can you just ask him once and be at peace and knowing that he really does? Because here's the truth, when, when, when you ask for forgiveness, he genuinely gives it. And that's it. So the first thing you need for transformation is a new identity. Now, you need the power to change, right? So number two, when you become a new creation, one, you get a new identity. Two, God gives you a new ability. Not just a new identity, God gives you a new ability. Here's the cool thing, now you're not depending on willpower to change. Now it's not just willpower and effort to change the thing that you've been wanting to change. You've tried to change things in your life so many times and it still doesn't work. Let me give you an example. Um, if you go into Books A Million or Barnes & Noble, one of the largest sections in the bookstore, anybody know what it is? Self-help. Here's the thing, you're going you're gonna to pull books from all these famous authors and all these even sometimes famous pastors, and you pull them and you read them and they're going to tell you 10 different steps of how you need to be a better person. And here's the truth, you can go and you can apply all those steps, and then you come to me about three weeks and I'm going to ask you, how's that working out for you? And it's not going to be going so well. You know why? Because all of those steps, all they are is willpower. All right, I need to start eating. I, I've told myself every single year I'm going to eat better. It lasts for about a whole whopping three days. You know, I go out to eat. One of my, as, as a pastor, I eat a lot. I sit down in a lot of meetings with people and a lot of lunches and a lot of dinners. And I've told myself a thousand times, all right, I'm going to go to Subway. All right, I'm going to get a salad. And then you see like fried chicken stuff. And you're like, I'm going to get that. It doesn't last, for me, it doesn't last long. It doesn't last long. We have all tried to change the things that we don't like about ourselves, but the truth is, we don't have the ability. 
The truth is, some of us don't have the power to change because willpower is not enough. How many of you done this? Anybody set New Year's resolutions? How long did it last? A week? Two weeks? Maybe a month? Maybe a month? Maybe three months? And then at some point down the line, it got broken. It got, it got shattered, right? We all know that willpower doesn't work. Why? Because eventually you get tired and you give up. Here's the truth. You don't need willpower. You need real power. And that is the power that the Holy Spirit gives you. That's it. That is the power that when you become a new creation, that God promises that His Spirit will now live inside. And now you have power to overcome. Here's, let me, let me do this for you real quick. And I, this wasn't, I didn't plan this, but I want to describe to you because I know that especially in Louisiana, especially in the South, we have seen um, some things that may confuse you. The Holy Spirit is this. The Holy Spirit is not um, a bunch of people going crazy, running around and, and flopping around and falling on the ground, Okay. The Holy Spirit is this. The Holy Spirit is you once, for years, had a drug addiction. Maybe you were addicted to pornography or whatever. Or you treated your wife horribly. You get saved. And this is what happens. You now go home and now you have the power to stop those things. I'm not saying that you're going to perfect it every single time. I'm not saying that you're not going to fail and you're not going to have hard times. But I'm saying that there is a power that comes in and begins to give you that ability to overcome. You become a new creation. Romans 5 says this, God has poured out his love into our hearts by means of the Holy Spirit who is God's gift to us. So this is what he says, I'm, I'm not only going to help you, but I'm going to be with you. Now, God works in you by giving you both the desires and the ability to fulfill his good purpose for you. You know what the problem is with you and me? Here's the problem. We know the right things to do. Like the wrong things that we're doing, we know they're wrong. And we know the things that we should be doing. Right? All of us know what we should or shouldn't be doing. We know the changes we want to make in our life. We all have the desire to be better. We have the desire, but we don't have the ability. We have the desire, but we don't have the ability. Because some of us have not been made into new creations. God says, I'm going to give you the desire and the ability to do my purpose for your life. God gives you the power to make the changes you can't change. God gives you the ability you need. And God gives you the power to keep going. So here's the deal. It's about trusting, not trying. It's about trusting in Jesus and not just simply trying. Christ's love is what changes us. And the more I'm filled with God, God's love, the more power I have to change. So God says, I want to give you a new identity, a new ability. And then this next one is really important. Number three, God gives me a new community. God says, I'm going to give you a family, a spiritual family to support you in doing the right thing. I said it earlier, you weren't meant to do life alone. You weren't meant to do life alone. You never were. 
You were meant to know God and have a family around you and support you. We always change better in a group than we do on our own. Listen to what Ephesians 1 says. Because of his love, God's unchanging plan has always been to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. So here's what it is. God says, I don't only want you to just believe in me, I want you to be a part of my family. It's, it's not enough to just simply believe in Jesus. It's not enough to sit at home and say, you know what, I'm going to watch church on TV. It's not enough because the, the truth is, and I, I guarantee you over the past 14 weeks that we've met here as a church, that there are many people in this building that could say that the church has been a family to them. Because when you are in a hard time or when you struggle or you wrestle with something, that guy on TV is not coming to your house. He's not calling you on the phone or he's, there's not a family that's coming to help you get through those struggles and those hard times. So what is that family that I'm talking about? 1 Timothy 3. That family is the church of the living God. So before we read the rest of the verse, notice this, what it says, that the family is the church of the living God. Church is not an organization. It's not a club. It's a spiritual family. God designed the church to be a family where we love each other, support each other, care for each other. Listen to what the rest of the verse says. That family is the church of the living God. This is really important right here. The support and foundation of the truth. Most people don't realize that they need a church family. It's not enough to say that you simply believe in Jesus. You need a family. So according to 1 Timothy, if we don't have a church family, then what is your support? What is your foundation? The truth is, we don't have one. We're better together. We need each other. We compensate for each other. And here's what I want to do real quick. Maybe you came in this morning and you don't have a church family. Maybe you're just visiting. Maybe you just came. And I want you to know this. No matter what walk of life you're in, maybe this is your first time here, second time here. I can guarantee you this, we won't be perfect, but you will be wanted, you will be needed, you will be forgiven, and you will be supported. We want to be a church that no matter what walk of life you're in right now, no matter how hurt, no matter how broken, no matter how bad things are, it doesn't matter. You know what we want to let you know? <coughs> Welcome home. Be a part of a family. Be a part of a people that will love you and support you. And when you go through times that are difficult and the times that are rough, that you have a family to support you. Galatians 3 says this, In Christ's family, there are no divisions between Jew and non-Jew, or slave and free, or male and female. Instead, we're all equal in a common relationship with Jesus Christ. So here's the deal. The church is not based on race. It's not based on your past history. It's not based on the fact that you came from a different background than somebody else. It's not even based on denomination. 
I don't care if you were a Mormon, a Catholic, a Baptist, a Pentecostal. It doesn't matter. You're welcome here. We can try to subdivide it all we want and say, well, I believe this and we believe this and all, and all that kind of good stuff. But at the end of the day, the church's sole job is not to have one gigantic opinion. The church's sole job is to be a family. A family that loves, supports, and cares for one another, hurting, broken, race, doesn't matter. So like I said, it doesn't matter what background you came from. God didn't come to give you religion at Christmas. He came to give you a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what he came to give us. No matter how hurting, no matter how broken, no matter what walk of life you've come from. You know, I'm, I'm pretty sure that all of us can sit in here and there's all things that we can stand divided on. Of things that we may not agree with one another. But here's the truth. If we want to be a church that truly shakes up this city, if we want to be a church that truly makes an impact, then we've got to be a family. We've got to be people that carry one another's burdens, that love one another deeply. At the end of the day, we want our church to look a little bit like heaven. You know, in January, we're going to be starting a series called um, The Greatest one of the things that we're actually going to be talking about through that is just, um, and many of you guys know what's going on in the country right now, the whole, um, the issue of race. And uh, it's obvious that um, racism in our country is not dead, which is obvious. And there's a lot of tragic things going on, and I'm sure we're all divided on certain opinions on that. I'm going to be doing one uh, message entitled The Great Divide. And here's the coolest thing. I genuinely believe through this series, we're going to do some vision casting for what we see God doing in our city. But I believe through this that God is going to use this church to shake up a community. I really believe that. I really believe that God's going to use this church to shake up a community. And now is the time to get involved and now is the time to get to know people in this church and be a part of what God's doing here. So, three things we've talked about. We've talked about when you become a new creation, you get a new identity, you get a new ability, you get a new community. But there's one more that's going to outlast everything that I've talked about. Number four, you get a new destiny. When I accept Jesus Christ into my life, I get a new destiny. Here's the deal. Some gifts that you're going to open up in Chris at Christmas this year don't last. You ever had that? Like you wake up, I mean my kids, I've bought them different things and thought it was the greatest gift in the world and you spend all this money on it and they open it up and by the time they open it and they break it out of the box and they play with it for about three, four hours and then it breaks. It's like the worst feeling in the world, right? You're like, golly, I spent all this money and now it doesn't even last. There's some gifts that just simply don't last. Like, let, let me give you, um, this is probably about 30 years ago. Some of you remember, remember what I'm talking about. And I just remember it because I remember seeing the corny commercials for it. Do you remember 30 years ago when we used to give pet rocks to each other? They were called Chia Pets. Anybody, anybody remember that stuff? That was the dumbest gift you could ever give somebody. I'm going to give you a pet rock, and it's going to be awesome. You pour some water on it, and it grows some Who thought of that? I don't know. We should drag you out to I'm just kidding. Um, a pet rock, those are just gifts that do not last, right? Here's the coolest thing in the world, though. When you accept Jesus, 
you receive a gift that lasts forever. For eternity. He gives you a new destiny. God says, here's a gift that is going to last forever. First Peter says this, God has received for his children the priceless gift of eternal life. It is kept in heaven for you, pure, undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. Romans 6 says this, the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. So here's the deal. You don't earn your way into heaven. You don't buy your way into heaven. You don't bribe your way into heaven. You're never going to be good enough to get into heaven. You can't talk your way in. It's simply a free gift. When you receive the perfect gift, Jesus, eternity is part of the package. Eternity is part of the package. And look, I know that many of us in here, and um, actually, uh, after our series in January, I'm going to do a whole series on it, or a whole message on it. I know many of us wrestle, wrestle with just assurance in our salvation of like, how do I know if I'm saved? I don't know if I'm really saved. Did I really receive Jesus? And I know many of us wrestle with that. And so just know that we are going to cover that. We are going to be talking about this. But I do want you to know this. That when God makes a commitment to you, that when you receive that free gift of salvation, it's not something that he's going to revoke from you. It's not something that he's going to take away from you. It's forever. If it's genuine, if it's real. Matthew seven eleven says this. If you, though imperfect and sinful, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Now look at this again. If though, imperfect, are we all imperfect in here? Yes. Are we all, I, I know for me, I'm an imperfect parent. I don't parent my children perfectly all the time. There's many times I snap, there's many times I have, Dad, 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 get, go! There's many times that happens. But listen to what this verse says. If you, though imperfect and simple, know how to give good gifts to your children, why wouldn't the Father give you a much better gift? It says, how much more will the Father give you a good gift? If we know how to give good gifts to our children, then certainly the Father knows how to give good gifts to us. So every gift in your life, everything that you have is a gift from Jesus. The very fact that we breathe is a gift from God. But sometimes there's gifts that you simply have to ask for. Right? Sometimes just going, God, you know what? Alright. I've hit rock bottom. <laughs> I'm done. Some of you have been on this road of just what we would call running for some time now. And here's what God wants to tell you this morning. Come home. Stop running. Stop running. Here's the thing that I've discovered about God in my short 28 years of life. That there is absolutely no corner on this earth that I could hide from him. He's everywhere. I can't run from him. I can't outrun him because he will always outrun me and he will always outlast me and he will always find me. 
So let me summarize this for you. God says, I sent the first Christmas gift, my son, to die so that you could go to heaven. I'm going to give you a new identity, a new ability to change the things you want to change. I'm going to give you a new community. It's called my church. And I'm going to give you a new destiny. That's why it's called the greatest gift you'll ever receive. That's why it's called the greatest gift you'll ever receive. Salvation. So here's what I want to close with. There's some of us in here that are running. Some of us, it's almost like um, we've just gotten used to it. We've gotten used to running. We've gotten used to kind of hiding. We've gotten used to it. And you know what? Sometimes the reason that we avoid church is because we don't want anybody to screw up our theology. <laughs> Meaning our thinking. Sometimes the reason that we avoid it is because we don't want anybody to contradict what makes us feel safe right now, in this moment. Well, I prayed the prayer when I was five, so I don't want to go in church because I don't want anybody to screw that thought process up for me. Here's, here's what I love. And here's the reason why I showed that video in the beginning. The greatest thing about Jesus is that he comes in, and let's just call it what it is, he takes a mess and he makes it beautiful. He takes broken pieces and he puts them back together. Here's what I love. Jesus sees your mess and he sees something beautiful. You see your, your mess and you say, there's no way. There's no way. And he says, you know what? I love to take broken things. I love to take people that think they have no purpose no true calling, and I love to restore it. And I love to put it back together. That's our Father. That's who God is.